Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping that you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, especially the joy you feel when you then share God's love with others. And um, it's early time. We look at all the events going on in life now that this is a time when God wants us, invites us to draw closer so that we can share that love and learn many important lessons as we do so about how it is we should live our lives and overcome the problems we face today. As we do every week, I begin this program with a story that is based on faith and form with imagination, kind of an introduction uh, to get our minds moving in another direction as, as this day uh, is beginning to end. It's titled, the story is titled, Words That Make God Present. It's uh, nearly, well, it's one of the 200 stories in a book titled Stories of Jesus, A Gospel of Faith and Imagination. And they're, um, they're a part of a collection of more than a thousand stories we've told on this program for, well, nearly 40 years when we started them. Again, words that make God present. A man followed Jesus for nearly three months, listening closely but never saying much. One day, he extended his hand to Jesus and said, Master, I have walked with you eaten with you and stayed with you. Your words are so beautiful because they have power to open our minds. Jesus seemed pleased with this compliment because he knew this man was well-schooled in the words of his father. The man continued, I have studied with many masters and read many books filled with great inspiration and wisdom. But I tell you this, Master, I am proud to address you as such. For you speak as if the Father is right here with us, guiding our very lives. If only we call out to him and ask him to open our minds and hearts to inspire us. Jesus nodded in agreement and said, I think you understand that the words I speak are not always my own. Then they should be recorded. I should be writing all that you have taught us, the man said. Jesus smiled at his enthusiasm and concern and said, I tell you this, you will remember my words as will others, but they are like the flowers that bloom. Everyone does not experience their beauty at the same time. One does not drink the green wine, but waits until it has matured. My words, like flowers, do not all bear fruit. Like seeds, some fall on fertile soil, some in the crevice of a rock, or others on the rock itself. The sunlight will touch, kiss, and warm only some of them. The same happens to my words, as they are placed in a person's mind. There is no need, then, to sit and record them, for many will remember them. Children may not remember the words their mother spoke to them when they were ill and cared for by her, but... They will never forget their mother's warmth and love. And the mother remembers those times as well, not her tiredness, but her love for her child. And so, fear not, my friend, fear not that all of my words 
have not been recorded. A story of faith and imagination. Our guest this evening writes in the introduction to his latest book titled Pursuing Freedom, Becoming the Man You Could Be. My two boys are sitting at the kitchen table with me as I write. One is eating paper. The other is working on reading three-letter words with my wife. As I look at them, I'm reminded of a few things. First, DNA is fascinating. Both of my boys are blonde and fair-skinned, while I'm neither of those things. And second, I'm reminded of how much weight I carry as a father raising sons. I will be for my boys the primary example of what it means to be a man. This is an exhilarating but potentially overwhelming thought. Our lived experience of masculinity is often over the spectrum, especially in our modern culture, which doesn't want to admit that there is a difference between masculine and feminine. As a young man, I wanted nothing more than to become what a man is supposed to be. The problem was I had little idea of what that really meant, and not enough men were pointing me in the right direction. I developed physical strength and certain freedoms to do what I wanted, to taste what the world had to serve me. I had a decent amount going for me, good grades, athletic prowess, a stable family environment, and Air Jordans. I was a young man aimlessly exploring the concepts of masculinity and being a man. Like many men today, I did not immediately realize I was lost. The moment I did realize it was a moment of intense anguish. When I finally vomited up the lies the world fed me, I was eager to find the right path. The heroes of history books and movies always spoke straight to my heart as a man. I realized there was more to manhood than the life I had been living. At the same time, I didn't know how to proceed. My freedom, my strength, what should I do with these things? I know that this story resonates with many other men a story of uncertainty and failure. I see too many grown men walking around as if they were half dead. I know how that feels. I was once that way. While many of us, along with our culture, might be wandering aimlessly, we do not have to be. We have a clear path for our lives as Christian men. This path begins and ends in Jesus Christ. He is the model the teacher, the one who will move us down that path, the path that has the capacity to change the world. Once we understand why God made us in particular way as men, we can lay out a path to flourish within that plan. I hope that this book, along with others, can help each of us to realize what it means to flourish as God intends and desires us to do. The author of this book and the author of and these particular words is Thomas Wirtz. He's the founder and director of Varsity Catholic, a division of the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, FOCUS, that works with college athletes. He has been involved in the formation of hundreds of men who served as FOCUS missionaries. He is a graduate of Benedictine College in the Augustine Institute 
He was selected as a delegate for the inaugural Sport at the Service of Humanity Conference at the Vatican. He is the author of Complete Inside, 100 Reflections to Help You Become the Complete Athlete and hosts the website www.faithinathletics.com. Thomas Wirtz, welcome to Amplify. Father Ron, what an honor. You are exceptional at reading. I... (laughs) It's no wonder you've been doing this for 40 years. What an amazing voice. What well, an amazing presence you have on the air. So good to be with you. Hey, it's, it's so great to be with you. Everyone needs to know that your fifth child, Lewis, was born just a few days ago. And sure. uh, he is a, you are then a, a new father. And they knew that this book was about to come out at that time, about this time, excuse me. And so yep. they listed him already in the book among his they children. Did. Fascinating. I was, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was awesome. Thank, thank you to our Sunday visitor for doing that. We we always find out at the 20-week mark if we're having a boy or a girl. We try to name our children as soon as we can, and we can talk to them. We can intercede. We always name them after a saint. And so, yes, St. Saint, saint Louis Martin was our was the namesake that now our, our fifth child is named after. So thankful, thankfully that uh, I'm thankful that they were able to, to fit it in there in the dedication. Yes. So, so yes, and wife is doing great. She's wonderful. The kids love the baby. So we are blessed beyond belief, Father. Yeah, Kate, how's Kate's doing well, you said? She's, she's, yeah, she's wonderful. She was, it was, uh, all went really well. We're, we're blessed. We're grateful. Um, she's healthy, recovering quickly, and um, just enjoying having a, a sweet little newborn. So tell us about how, a little bit about how you became interested in sports and, uh, their part in your life, and then we're going to get into the religious aspect of it. Yeah, sure. So I would probably like like a lot of boys. I grew up and loved competing, loved playing sports, and I was pretty good at it. And so had a successful high school career in football as a quarterback. Got to got to go to the University of San Diego to try my hand at, at collegiate athletics and played a season of football there. Realized um, college football is very different than high school football. It was very difficult. My maturity level just wasn't there. I just I, I failed really. But growing up so in, involved in athletics, I really developed as I as I learned years after I stopped playing that I really had an identity in athletics. Meaning that my sense of self worth was very closely connected to athletics. So if I wasn't achieving as an athlete, I didn't think I was worth much. And so when, you, when you're that connected and it's that personal to you, even when I stopped playing college football, my heart still just longed to be around other athletes. It was just part of who I was, as I said, not necessarily in a healthy way. Um, and then when I became a missionary um, right out of college, just wanted to continue to reach out to that group of men because that's where so much of my life was shaped and, and uh, was able to do that for years and, and help focus, launch a more intentional effort in 2007 called Varsity Catholic. But yeah, sports, love sports. There's so much good in sports, so much potential for the formation of our young people. I think as, as a Catholic church, we have wonderful institutions through our education systems that we can, we can use sport as a way to reach young people um, they they want to listen to what coaches have to say. There's just so much potential, Father. We could, I don't want to go on too many tangents, but 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 sport has been a big piece of my life, a big love, uh, both an unhealthy attachment to it and an unhealthy sense of self worth. But through that, um, I think the Lord has provided a, an amazing opportunity to reach other athletes and 
and um, hopefully help shape the church's conversation a little bit of how we we view sports and the opportunity that exists to evangelize through it. And you also uh, became aware of how how worthy you are to God. Yes, it was amazing. I was standing as a missionary. I was probably my second year as a missionary, and even when I became a missionary, if, if there was basketball, I had to be in the mix. If there was whatever sport was happening, I had to be in the mix. And one day, there was a, a sand volleyball game with my fellow missionaries, and I, I, I just decided not to play, and I was standing on the outside looking in, and it, it, the Lord, just a moment of grace right there, he just said, you know, this is, you don't need to be doing this. Your worth is deeper than this. And so it just took many years to get that, to, to at least recognize how I was equating myself um, with, with my athletic success and worth and all of that. Took a while to see that, and then the Lord in that moment opened my eyes to it, and then has been, and still is, helping me understand how deeply loved I am. And of course, being a father is a beautiful way to help deepen your understanding of how loved I am by God, my father, by God, our father, you know, and it's just because I look at my children, I, how much I love them. And I, and I, I know that God loves me even more than I love them. And it's, it's just, it's an amazing ride, but God is an amazing God. And I'm grateful to, to have the gift of faith. How do you believe your five children challenge you to become the man God wants you to be? I think it's it, as you beautifully read in the, in the introduction there. As I, but by, by the way, the the one son that was eating paper, he's two, so it, <laughs> he wasn't a fifteen year old. But I think it's just when you when you look at your children and you want what's best for your children, you recognize I'm the one leading them as the spiritual head of my family, as the father, husband to my wife, right? And and my witness to them is setting foundational realities for them, their sense of self-worth. I'm the one ultimately through God. I mean, God's through me, of course, but uh, in terms of the human relationship, I'm one of those primary people that has to help them, that's responsible in helping them know that they're loved, not just by me, but by God, our Father as well, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so I I think in that recognition of, oh my goodness, this role is more than I can handle. Um, and you realize that marriage is a sacrament, thanks be to God, and there's grace associated with that for this purpose. But I think the overwhelming, the overwhelming responsibility associated with being a husband and father challenges me to hopefully, and I've, some days are good, some days aren't, as, as you probably know, Father, in the years you've, you've been living this, this Christian life, but um, hopefully recognize, Lord, I need you. I need to be a better man. I need you to make me a better man through your grace to transform me to be the saint you're calling me to be because I have these beautiful souls that you've entrusted to me that I want to lead in the Christian life the best way that I possibly can. So I don't know if I answered your question. Oh, you did. No. And, and of course, uh, there are people that God sends into our lives uh, through whom God challenges us. It's not only our mm-hmm. family, the five kids, and uh, um, you have a, uh, your opening quotes are from the, from scriptures in, in each of the, chapter mm-hmm. or from one of the saints, and uh, you open with Proverbs, the purpose in a man's mind is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And then a quote from St. Ambrose, faith means battles. If there are no contests, it's because there are none who desire to contend. And then Archbishop Chaput, um believes that if we can no longer 
imagine anything worth dying for, we won't realize what is worth living for. Uh, let's, we just have about a minute, almost two minutes until we need to take our first break. Tell us a little bit about the biblical quote that guides us throughout this entire, or biblical concept, excuse me, concept sure. that guides us throughout this book. Sure. So that the, the question of, okay, what is, what is the masculine identity? I look at Genesis 2.15. And in Genesis 2.15, God has taken Adam into the garden, shown him the Garden of Eden, and he said to him, he's commanded him to, to till and keep the garden, is how most Bibles translate that. And when you look at the Hebrew, for especially the word keep, the Hebrew word is shamar, S-H-A-M-A-R, shamar. And keep is a, is a proper translation, but there's other, op, op, there's other words that we can use to translate this idea of shamar. And I like, and some other scholars have looked at guarding and protecting and to me, that concept of Adam brought into the garden to, to till, but then to guard and protect, to me, that makes just so much sense as a man that we're called to be guarding and protecting. We're called to be shamaring what the Lord has desired, which is to present truth to the world and to live love, live ultimate charity, right? To reflect him who is love. And so that's kind of the theme I take and say, if we want to shamar, if we fully want to guard and protect truth and love, we have to be free. And so then the rest of the, of the book kind of points to different truths and realities and virtues that I think men in our day and age especially have to run after so that okay. we're free to live and to shamar. Let me break in. We're going to take this break. Welcome back to I Amplify, where our guest this evening is Thomas Wirtz. The name of the book is Pursuing Freedom. Becoming the man you could be, and he writes in it, We were made in God's image and likeness with an immense role to play in serving humanity. Yet our current male culture is dominated by mediocrity and confusion. As a culture, we have forgotten what it means to be men. Yet in two decades of leading, shaping, and aiding in the formation of young men, I have seen that men today have a tremendous capacity to respond and become who God wants us to become. And he, he writes uh, a little bit before that. He, when we left off, he was talking about the concept of shamar. And um, he writes, if we stop to think about this concept of guarding and protecting, we should feel an adrenaline rush of, of sorts that we might uh, ponder why God gave us men this responsibility to shamar. What exactly are we guarding and protecting now that we aren't in the Garden of Eden anymore? And he, he answers that question. We, we don't have time to talk about everything in the book, unfortunately, but he believes that uh, the basic instructions God gave to Abraham, or to Adam, excuse me, to Adam, was that God was ordering the first man to guard, protect, and fight, if need be, to keep all of creation in right order, and that is stamped, he believes, on every man's Soul, and that is why we love to compete. And uh, what is it then, um, Thomas, that inspired mm -hmm. you to write this book? And it's it's really composed, isn't it, of eight key ideas that men in our culture mm -hmm. need to focus on? 
Sure. Yeah. When, when I was in grad school, it was a big where this initial idea just came to be. And just looking out at the men I'd been serving for for over four years now on campus and in my own life. Right. And as, as, as you read at the beginning, my introduction, it's just as as men, we, we all of a sudden we develop strength. We mature physically. And it's like, what, what do I do with this? Right. And so many so many men in our culture, they go if they have that strength, they can go to the extreme of, of violence and and they're seeking identity through gangs or what, whatever it, it is. Others, we, we don't know what we reject our strength and we kind of sit in a mediocrity and sit on the couch and just watch TV all day or play video games all day long or something like that. And so is this reality of what, for my, my life of man, when I first heard someone say Genesis 2:15, this concept of Shamar can be more than just keep. It just awoke my soul, and I thought, holy moly, this is spectacular, this is brilliant, this makes sense. It's why the next chapter in Genesis, chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell and God cast them out of the garden, he closes the gates to the Garden of Eden, and he puts a cherubim with a flaming sword that stands outside the gate to shamar the entry into the garden, to keep, to guard, to protect. And, and so then, just, just looking at the culture, I thought, you know what, I think if we're really going to do this, there's eight areas that I think men typically in general seem to be struggling with. And so each one of those chapters, my hope was anyways, to speak into those to help. If, if a guy reading that book struggles with one of those, great. Hopefully that speaks to him. If he struggles with all eight, hopefully those, those speak to him so that he can more freely shamar to guard, protect truth and goodness and ultimately love. And that's first chapter after that, engage in the battle around us, control our passions, rise to greatness, mm-hmm. combat arrogance, become unbreakable, surrender control, embrace the mission, reflect the ultimate charity. Um, what is the spiritual war that you believe that we are engaged in? Um, yeah. you, you, uh, to you, it seems clear that the strategy of Lucifer seems to be working, even though we're not controlled by Lucifer you believe mm-hmm. that his strategy is working and that the moment we cease t- to fight, we lose. And you learn that right. in sports, don't you? You do, yes. Praise God, sports is a great battleground, training ground. It's, I think, yeah, the, the devil doesn't want us to be in right relationship with the Lord. He doesn't want us to get to heaven. And um, he is lulling us to sleep, I think, is, one, is probably the leading strategy he's using to just think, not necessarily that we reject Satan, although some do, some reject the idea of hell and the devil, but to not even be worried about him. And I think for, for us men in, in a particular way, especially as priests, prophets, and kings in our baptism, and if we're going to be leading our, our families, we have to recognize that there is the powers, the principalities are circling. There's, there is, a, you know, not to be cliche, but there's a war. I mean, there's this, this concept of a battle for souls between the demons, the devil, and that which is good, the Lord himself and his angels and, and saints trying to bring souls into heaven. I, gosh, it's, it's, we have to start there. We have to at least recognize, hey, guys, there's, there's, there's something going on that we can't see. And if we don't recognize that, we're going to lose because we're not going to engage. So we have to step out and engage in this spiritual battle that the saints talk about, the mystics talk about, um, that our Lord mentioned, that St. Paul wrote about in Ephesians. And so... Yeah, boy, we got to wake up and, and realize that the devil's trying to take our souls and drag us into hell. You believe we have two choices. Do we want to love God selflessly or love ourselves 
selfishly? It's tough. It's tough. I mean, I, I'm a selfish, I'm a sinner. And, uh, but the struggle is to, to, as, as St. John the Baptist said, may there be more of him and less of me. And if, if I choose the Lord and, 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 and strive through his grace to, to surrender to him, to imitate him, to serve him, um, I, I trust in his goodness and that he will, he will help me prevail in this, in this earthly pilgrimage. If I live for myself, um, that's just not a good place to be. The Lord calls us out of our selfishness. That's what love ultimately is about. And if I live for myself, my perception gets skewed. My, my blinders go up, and I, I just forget that there's more out there that I'm called to be doing, right? And that's laying my life down. No greater love is this than a man who lays his life down for his friends. But if I'm living for myself, I will fail likely. I mean, God can intercede through his grace and, and do miracles. But I'm putting myself in a rough situation if I live for myself, right? It's going to be hard for me to lay my life down for my friends and to enter into the battle for souls. Um, you, you believe that the enemy is smart. He is also mad because in the end he knows he has already lost, but he wants to take as many of us down with him as he can. And so some of the things you've put into practice, I'll, I'll just go over them quickly. In the checkout line at the grocery store, I often flip over the magazines that are too sexual for my young children and replace them in the rack backward. I canceled our Netflix account. Um, I pray with my children each night. I try to engage in debates about public policy and vote in a manner that reflects Judeo-Christian truths. I don't put myself in situations that would harm the integrity of my marriage. And then um, stay away from anything that claims to conjure spirits and anything connected to the occult. Mm -hmm. Stay close to Jesus by talking with him daily. Read the Bible often. Remain connected to God's grace by attending Mass weekly. The devil and his demons can manipulate our imagination. Develop a relationship with Mary. Imitate the life of Jesus Christ. And I didn't read them fully, but just uh, touched on one of the sentences of, in many, of, of course. So um, your life has been influenced then by God's love for you and your love for God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's just this, this call to serve him. Um, and Lucifer's response to the Lord was, I will not serve. And so he rejected the Lord and his goodness. And we need to, to imitate the saints, the Christians that have gone before us, Our Lady, in saying, yes, Lord, I will serve you, and I will do everything I can to serve you. I will, I will put myself in the right positions um, in society and life so that, you know, I can, I can protect the integrity of, as I said, the integrity of my marriage. So don't put myself in silly places that temptation might take over or might be too strong. Don't put myself in the occasion of sin. Protect my children and the, in what they see, what, what they consume, um, and recognize that not not that the world is bad, the world is good. God created it and it is good. But again, the spiritual realities, there's there's a, a sense out there that we can't be naive to, um, not to be paranoid, but to be on guard, to protect, and to help bring and celebrate what is true, good, and beautiful. And in each of the uh, uh, chapters, you have selected a saint as kind of a model, I would suspect, and and mm -hmm. the saint for this particular chapter, chapter two, is a Capuchin friar known as Padre Pio. 
Uh, why did you select him? Yeah, great question. I, first, I love the saints. I mean, what a gift the church has given us. And Padre Pio was uh, a man in fairly contemporary, the late 60s. And so, so some that are still alive knew him. <laughs> and he had real, tangible bouts with the devil on a regular basis. Even when he was a young child, he saw demons. To the, to the, the, with the frequency that he thought that was a regular occurrence for everyone. But the devil would try to just attack him physically, beat him, um, appear to him in all different forms, including, I think, at, at least in one time, appearing as Jesus himself, just trying to fool him, trying to, to tempt him. And so Padre Pio was just a great example, an extreme example, really, of this reality that there is a spiritual battle and the devil is mad and doesn't like us. And he really didn't like Padre Pio because Padre Pio was bringing so many souls back to the Lord, back to a state of grace. And so, yeah, Padre Pio, I mean, it, it, I'm sure, Father, you know the story well, but he, some of the things he did from from reading souls to uh, being in two places at once, I mean, it's, right. it's almost like superhero type stuff, but it was real. And the way the devil would attack him and burn his bed and do all kinds of crazy things. St. John Vianney had some similar instances like that where the devil just would attack him. Um, it just hopefully can remind us that, wow, this, this does happen. And it happened not too long ago. He wrote that uh, the field of battle between God and Satan is the human soul. This is where it takes place every moment of our lives. Um, chapter three is to control our, our passions you write about how our passions of feeling can can lead to virtue or they can lead to sin. And they should serve, of course, rather than control us. And in your experience, the three that you believe impact men negatively the most are anger, fear, and sexual desire. Say a little bit about each of them. Sure, yeah. And I, I know that some men are, are different, so I was I was kind of putting it in general buckets. But seems like men have a problem with anger, myself included, when, when I'm parenting or even in, in arguments with my wife that we sometimes do have. I, my anger can get the best of me. And um, so I, I, I was trying to look at areas in the culture where I think, yeah, men seem to struggle. Anger, we get over the top. Whether it's even watching you know, the Denver Broncos lose a game out here in Colorado, um, maybe we get enraged. It's just not okay to get enraged over something, especially like sports. And to remember that our Lord had a righteous anger. So there's a goodness there. We just have to have the virtue of it. And then the sexual sin, it's everywhere, right? The pornography industry, sadly, has, has become a behemoth. And, you know, men are addicted for, for, gosh, decades before they recognize it. And so just recognizing that lust is one of those things that can grip us and can be a struggle where we, we just have an addiction and just, again, we're not free to live. And so, and, and then just this idea of fear, I think, where in my life, I was for, for many years afraid to fail. So my fear was in the sense of failing, and it's, it restricted me from being who I'm supposed to be in God's eyes. And so I, it just kind of hopefully walk men through, and we all have our own battles and our own struggles, our own, you know, personal 
maybe maybe anger, fear, sexual desire isn't a struggle that that some guy listening here has, but he's got to struggle somewhere with his passions. And it's important that we reflect on it and recognize how do we how do we through God's grace allow that passion to again serve rather than control because they are a good that God had created and we just want them to be in the proper place uh, per His design. How can our passions then? Um, what, what can lead us into sin, of course? Uh, how can mm-hmm. they be great blessings in our attempts uh, to give of ourselves as God wants to others? That's a great, great question, Father. And I, let's use my my children as example. If you know, if I see my child um, stepping out into danger, right, heading out into the street on their bike, um, that that passion inside that kind of emotive response for me to run out and grab them, especially if there's a car coming, right, risking my life to save my child is is an extreme example. But I think those are ways um, that our passion, again, the the extreme examples often help us illustrate the point. Uh, Or if my child falls into a a raging river for some reason, am I going to jump in? Are my passions going to over, override the fear I might have to jump in and save a life? So those are instances where the extreme, you know, extreme examples of where our passion will move us to action, right? Something we recognize is good, something we want to do, but maybe we can't because of fear. Our passions hopefully step in um, and, and exert us into action. So it's a great question. There's, there's lots of little ways, I think, to... Um, that we can probably start to see in our life. But those, those kind of extreme examples, I think, hopefully help make the point. Yeah, you raised the issue of uh, pornography that is in many ways a, uh-huh. a plague. I, of course, uh, hear about that a, a lot when people confess their sins. Sure. Uh, and you sure. write that uncontrolled sexual desire or lust can be more self-evident, but it isn't always we live in a highly over-sexualized culture. Sex is everywhere. We might not mm-hmm. even realize, may not even realize we are lusting after some half-naked woman because half-naked women are everywhere. Lust has become normalized in our culture mm-hmm. to the point that we often don't recognize it. And so it, it becomes a, a plague. And uh, you write that uh, our passions are a little like those many instruments they need to be tempered so that we can exist in perfect harmony within mm-hmm. ourselves we're always looking for that balance aren't we we are we are and, and and thank god you know we have his grace to to perfect that um and to rely on that and so you know the the Thomistic phrase grace builds on nature and for us as men mm-hmm. we need to put our effort in to try to do what we can and then trust that god in his grace will do the rest we'll will perfect, if you will, as he did with the saints, um, those attempts. And sometimes he lets us fail. He lets us struggle. Um, he lets us to remain in that humiliation, um, of course. But yeah, it's, and lust is tough. Lust is, lust is a big one. It's a big part of my life um, for many, many years. And it's just, you know, you see good, holy men that are just stuck because they saw pornography when they were 11 years old and they started just seeing it on a regular basis until they became an adult. Once they're 18, that's already seven eight, nine years that they've been looking at it and they, they don't even know what to do. That's it's just it's brutal, it's rough, but thank God men are finding freedom. There's amazing things out there to help men to be free and to just, you know, it's like they can breathe again once they start finding freedom from this this sin this addiction. And it, I think it has become an addiction for so many men. 
Um, but that freedom, yeah, it's like it's like the hands have have left our neck, and now we can we can breathe fully again and and just live life to the full. And God is so good, fathers, as I'm sure you have thousands of stories to to recite. But God is so good, and He just wants us to have that freedom um, and to let us be as we're meant to be, to to have our sexual integrity back. So yeah. yes, we have two more minutes in this uh, this segment before we need to take our next break. Tell us a little bit about the model or saint that you selected uh, for this pass for this particular chapter, controlling our passions. Uh, tell us a little bit about Saint John de Brebeuf. Oh, say one of the North American martyrs. So one of the French Jesuits that came to to serve the the Native Americans, the natives of of this land, and. Um, which just I think a beautiful story. He was known as a as a man of temperance. He was known as a, a man of strength that controlled himself well. And I was particularly drawn when I read about his story, the way he was martyred, just a brutal martyrdom. And the whole time as as he was being tortured for hours, he just cried out, Jesus have mercy. So just again, you saw his temperance and just the way he controlled his passions, just in the moment of intense, intense suffering, praying that the Lord would have mercy on those that are causing that harm to him. And it was his whole life was a life of temperance, the Lord prepping him for this amazing moment of martyrdom. So a fascinating story. North American martyrs are all tremendous stories. And uh, it's, it's a real hatred. Uh, you explain it that he couldn't meet the maddening fury and hatred that brought his torture. And he tortured, they tortured them mm. in so many ways that it's unbelievable but uh, he always prayed for them. The next step they took yeah. was little by little. It was uh, one can only wonder how they must have been influenced uh, in some way. And and you write that all we need to do are small acts of self-sacrifice, <laughs> giving up salt, for example. And God can take us to incredible heights, even to that of heroic martyrdom. So we're talking about spiritual life that uh, begins in simple ways and can grow so deeply and so widely and affect uh, so many people uh, in their lives in the best ways. So when we come back, we're going we're gonna to go to the next section of the book that is Chapter 4, A Rise to uh, Greatness. Uh, our guest this evening is Thomas Wirtz. We're talking about his book, Pursuing Freedom. <laughs> 